In our Advent reading today, we heard that the angel of the Lord told Mary, Do not be afraid. And it was mentioned that this is a common refrain in the Bible. And it's a call to courage. And I want to suggest to you today that if we were to define courage as believers in Jesus Christ, courage is the result of believing that God can be trusted no matter what. I want to say that again because it's so important. If you don't take anything else away from the message today, take this. Courage is the result of believing that God can be trusted no matter what. You know, courage is a funny thing. Bravery is interesting. You know, they have, as a prerequisite, as a requirement, fear. If you're not afraid, you're not being courageous. If, you're not, if you don't have something to fear, then you can't be brave. It doesn't take courage to brush your teeth in the morning for most of us. <laughs> but I, I know someone who had uh, a degenerative problem in their jaw and their face that to brush their teeth every morning took an immense amount of courage because they knew it would result in great pain. Uh, and in the same vein, courage is also something that is really in the eye of the beholder. It's all about your perspective. You know, what might be courageous, as I mentioned, for one person would not be courageous for another. Every once in a while, people ask me, how do you get up and speak in front of the church like that? And I think, I don't even think about it. I'm not being courageous, I promise. <laughs> this, is my natural, this is my natural state right here. This is not, this is not from, from like determination and hard work. But then there are other things that do make me nervous and make me scared, and they're hard for me. And they, they may not be hard for you. Um, it's basically, you know, courage is doing something that scares you. I had a friend who said that, uh, he, he talked about, you know, the, the phrase, the comfort zone, the place where you don't feel afraid, where you don't feel scared. He drew a circle, and inside the circle, he wrote comfort zone. And outside the circle, he wrote where the magic happens, where the magic happens. You know, God is often inviting us out of comfort into fear because he knows that's where we can show courage and be brave. He knows that's where we can illustrate the results and the effects of our faith because Courage isn't just believing that God can do what he says he's going to do. Courage is the result of believing that God can be trusted and that he'll do what he says he's going to do. Courage also means having a strong inner resolve. For those of you who speak more than one language, you might recognize that the beginning of the word courage is core, which is the word heart. It sounds a little different, but it's where we get cardiac Right, that, that C-O-R, C-A-R, uh, Latin, also in Greek, it's where, it's where the word heart comes, it's the word heart, and so courage is having a strong heart in the face of difficult situations, a strong inner resolve uh, to have guts. By the way, the word heart can also mean guts in ancient languages because it just meant the inner parts of yourself, and that's why we talk about getting heartburn in our stomach, because it's the same part of our body having that strong inner resolve, having guts, being, being um, able to face that which scares you because you know that God can be trusted. You know, so if we have this understanding of what courage is and we look at the places in the Bible that talk about fearing not, I think it helps us to understand a couple of things. 
By the way, that phrase, do not fear, fear not, don't be afraid, and all its different permutations and translations, it's in the Bible over a hundred times. Over a hundred times. And the reason is, it's because there's a lot of things that happen in the Bible that are scary. You ever notice that? I think it's so easy. You know, I grew up going to church every Sunday and hearing these stories and I read the children's Bible stories and my parents told me the stories and my Sunday school teachers told me the stories and it kind of became like, oh, those are the Bible stories. Oh yeah, there was this giant, but don't worry, David's going to kill him. Oh, there's this army, but don't worry, God's going to take care of it. Oh, Jesus dies on the cross, but don't worry, he's going to raise again. And it kind of became, for me and I imagine for some of you, Because we know the end of the story, it's too easy to not live in the tension of the moment that the story is offering us. But the Bible's filled with scary things. In fact, one of the most common responses when people encounter God or an angel is to get scared. (laughs) In fact, if you look at all of the instances of people encountering God, there's two things that happen in almost all of them. Number one, they get scared. And number two, they're told not to be afraid. It's a recurring theme. Uh, you think of, you think of uh, Isaiah who's in the throne room of God and he thinks he's going to die because he's in the presence of holiness and he has unclean lips. And God purifies him and says, Don't, no, you're going to be okay. And then uh, Moses on, on the Mount uh, Sinai and he thinks that uh, you know, he wants to see God's face and God says, I can't show you my face because you'll be dead, but I'll show you my back. I'll let you see me pass by. This constant theme of the fear of the Lord. And it doesn't matter if it's an angel, if it's God himself. It happens over and over. I mentioned Mount Sinai. Do you guys know the story of Israel coming out of Egypt, out of slavery? They go to Mount Sinai, and there's thunder and lightning and earthquakes and crashes and booms. And God speaks to the Israelites, and the Israelites tell Moses, Wait! Hold your horses! We're not going up there to talk to God. You go for us. I truly believe that God was offering Israel an opportunity to have a deep, intimate, personal relationship with him. And they chose to send Moses instead because they were afraid. They didn't, they didn't want to face the living God in person. Uh, you think of uh, uh, Daniel. Daniel gets afraid when... When the, when the angel comes to him, Daniel's praying for deliverance for his people after they're in captivity. And uh, an angel comes late. <laughs> he comes after quite a few days. But it makes Daniel afraid. And the angel tells him, do not fear. Uh, the shepherds in the field, we read about a couple of weeks ago. A shepherd appears and tells them about the coming Messiah. And what's their response? They're afraid. And he says, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Uh, Daniel was afraid. I mentioned John the Baptist. His father was visited by an angel. And the angel told Zechariah, you're going to have a son and his name's going to be John. But Zechariah is afraid. He says, do not fear. You guys might know uh, Hagar, Ishmael's mother. She was visited by God and she was afraid too. The women who discovered Jesus' tomb, they saw an angel and he said, do not fear, because they were afraid. It's It's just what happens. It's just the reality that when you encounter something so majestic as an angel or 
or God himself, that you're going to be afraid. But when we look at Mary's story, it's actually a little different. You guys remember what it said there? This is in Luke chapter 1. I encourage you to take out your Bible and turn there with me. We're going to be in Luke and also in one other passage today. Gabriel comes to Mary and he says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. This is Luke 1, 28. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And it doesn't say that Mary was troubled or afraid because there was an angel. Look at what it says. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what they might be. Wondered what kind of greeting this might be. It's kind of like when you're in that one of those big classroom settings and all of a sudden the teacher calls on you. Hey, I've noticed you. And what's your immediate reaction? Slink down in your seat. <laughs> uh, you must be talking to that person, right? You're not talking to me. Imagine an, al- uh, an alien. An angel comes to you and says, The Lord has favored you highly. That sounds like a recipe for trouble, doesn't it? Mary's not just afraid that there's an angel. Mary's afraid of what the angel is going to ask her to do. She's afraid of what the implications of this greeting might be. She's afraid. She's greatly troubled at what type of calling or purpose God might place on her life. Can you relate to that? Have you ever had a sense that God was saying to you, here's something that I want you to do? And then it scared you? And you thought, I can't do that. Why are you asking me to do that? Why don't you ask so-and-so to do that? They would do a much better job than I would. And we get scared. You know, when, when, when we realize that our life has a purpose or a calling, then there's this new opportunity for failure that didn't exist before. Whenever you try something hard, you open yourself up to that possibility. And when you're doing it for God, oh my goodness, how much more? How much more can you feel overwhelmed by the possibility that you won't be able to do it well? You know, life is often difficult for the people of God. Think about your favorite Bible story. Who has a favorite Bible story? Anyone? No, no one reads, no one reads Bible stories here anymore? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, nothing scary happens in that story. There's nothing difficult for these three guys, right? The, they, these uh, Israelites who are taken into captivity in Babylon, and then they refuse to do... Uh, what the, the king tells them to do. So he throws them into the furnace, the fiery furnace. And what do they say? God may not save us, but he can. But either way, we'll not bow to you and your gods and whatever he was asking them to do. Right? So it was scary. You know, we could go through a whole bunch of these. Uh, the story of Abraham. God gives Abraham a calling. He says, leave your home and go to a new place. We don't get the whole dialogue, but I imagine Abraham says, okay, well, where am I going? And God says, none of your business. Just start walking. I'll get you there. 
And of course, his wife is kidnapped. He's attacked. He's, he's, he in, enters into all these different disputes with people. He, God then tells him, you're going to have a son. And Abraham says, how's that going to happen? God says, none of your business. You're going to have a son. So Abraham says, well, I think I know how to have a son. So I'm going to take this woman that's in my camp and we're going to have a son because he couldn't have a son with his wife, Sarah, Sarai at the time. And God says, no, that's not the plan. You goofed it up. Trust me. You're going to have a son with your wife. And it's difficult. And on and on. I mean, you could think of uh, Joseph. Joseph has got this calling of God. He's told in his dreams that his father and mother and his brothers will bow to him. He's going to be a mighty, powerful person. But to get there, he has to be uh, betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, and then ends up in prison before he ever becomes a man of leadership and power and influence in Egypt. And ultimately, his influence saves God's promised people, not to mention all of Egypt from the famine. And so God's promise of a redeemer continues in the line of Jacob because of Joseph's faithfulness. Moses, that, would, that wasn't scary, right? The story of Moses, there's nothing scary there. Just go up to the most powerful person in the world and tell them to uh, rehaul his entire economy by letting all of his slaves go. Yeah, no problem, that should be easy, right? David, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jesus, nothing bad happened to Jesus, right? You see, when God comes to you and says, I've got a special plan for your life, which we all get really excited about, oh, God has a plan for my life, it usually makes your life harder. That's just reality. Because now you've got something hard to do. You've got something courageous to do. And you've got something to do that requires that you trust the Lord and not yourself. Because God doesn't visit you in a dream or in the flesh or through an angel to say, Oh, by the way, I've got this big plan for you that you'll be able to do, no problem. That's not how it works. He gives us big plans, hard plans, big purposes. And I believe that God really does have a purpose like that for all of us, although none of ours will be quite as interesting or exciting as Mary's. God has a purpose and a plan for every single one of us. But it will require doing something scary. One of the things that God promised those people, every single one of them, is that he would never leave them, that he would be with them. You know, along with the great joy they experienced from this list that we just went through, they, those people knew hardship, they knew war, they knew imprisonment, they knew death, but God never abandoned them. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they say, even if God doesn't save us from the fire, God has not abandoned us. We trust him. They believed in eternity. The book of Hebrews says that when Abraham died, he was still looking for the promises of God for that promised land. And that promise has not been nullified still. Abraham will walk the dirt of that land that God promised him. You know, Mary's promise was for a baby who would ultimately combine a lot of the things that that we were looking for. Jesus, he's, he's the culmination of all the great things that we could have wanted. But it's a scary calling. So let's just kind of hang out there for a moment in that idea of a calling being scary. 
Uh, imagine God says to you, impresses it on your heart, gives you a dream, speaks through others, speaks to the scripture, uh, whatever it is, how God speaks to you, however he's doing it. And you say, oh, Lord, I believe you want me to do X. I find that a lot of times the response is, you want me to what? What? You want me to do what? You know, it's scary to move to another country and learn a new language and live in a new culture for the gospel. That's scary, right? But it's also scary to walk across your office and offer to pray for a coworker. That can be scary. It can be scary to... Try to change the way your family communicates because there's a better way that God offers than the way that you grew up with. But maybe there's resistance or maybe no one else believes the way you believe and so who are you to come and try to change things? That can be scary. Maybe it could be uh, uh, God's calling you to leave your job because he's given you this driving passion to help young people addicted to opioids and you, you think, oh, I have an idea that God's given me that I think would be helpful, but I don't know if I can leave behind what I know and chart out into something new and start a nonprofit. Who am I to start a nonprofit? Who am I to raise funds? Who am I to do X, Y, Z? I can't do that. It's too scary. Uh, it may be scary to share the gospel one more time with that family member who's rejected it every time you shared it. But what about you? What is the calling that you fear? What's the invitation God has given you that's difficult for you to respond to with a yes. What you want to say is, may it not be unto me as you have said. Lord, may it be unto him <laughs> as you have said. <laughs> you ever feel like that? And by the way, none of these things are going to feel particularly easier because you know God's the one who wants you to do it. It shouldn't be this way, but oftentimes when we feel like God's involved, it's like the pressure and expectations go up here, and it makes it harder. I don't think that should be the case, but it often is. You guys remember the story of Moses? Moses is born in Egypt illegally. He shouldn't have been born, uh, but he was saved by his family so that he wouldn't be put to death by the Egyptian government at birth. And then Moses um, is raised in Pharaoh's household, but his own family also helps raise him, so he knows who he is, he knows God's purpose for his people, and he knows that it's not right for the Egyptians to oppress the Hebrews. And so when he sees an Egyptian oppressing one of his fellow Hebrews, who is a slave, he rises up to defend him, and he kills the Egyptian. But he knows this is a death sentence, so he runs away. He runs out into the wilderness. And while he's in the wilderness, he encounters a family. He gets married. He has this wonderful father-in-law. Uh, but he's out there tending the sheep one day, and what does he see in the distance? There's a bush, and it's on fire, but it's not burning up. So he goes up to it. This is in Exodus chapter 3. If you would, turn there with me. 
Exodus chapter 3, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, yet it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush burn but not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to him, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is interesting. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses wasn't afraid until he knew what kind of God he was dealing with here. What kind of mysterious, magical being are you? And he basically says, I am the God of your people. Not only that, as we know, I am the God of all gods. I am the most high God. Moses knows who he's dealing with. And then he's afraid. The Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them cry out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about the suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he goes on. Now, if you know the story, Moses is afraid when he knows who he's talking to. But when God tells him what he's supposed to do, man, does he start to shiver. You're going to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And Moses starts shooting out excuses left and right. No, the people won't believe that I'm coming from you. No, I can't talk, so don't send me to Pharaoh. No, who am I to do this? No one's going to listen to me. It's one thing to be in the presence of God. It's another thing to be then given a mission that just scares the mess out of you. So what does God do? God knows how to calm our fears or at least give us enough courage to get started. Moses just needed to listen to him and trust him. So God gives him his brother. He says, oh, you can't speak? Well, your brother can. Go to him. He's waiting for you. Uh, No one's going to believe that you came from me? Well, I'm going to give you a name that they'll know so they know that it's me. The I am has sent you. Oh, you don't think Pharaoh's going to listen to you? Well, let me give you these miraculous signs. You know that staff? You can turn it into a snake. Then you can turn it back into a staff. Pretty cool, huh? And God says, but more than that, in verse 12 of Exodus 3, he says, I will be with you. I will be with you. Yeah, you're going to have a staff. Yeah, you're going to have your brother. Yeah, you've got this name, but you've got me, Moses. I'm going to be right there with you. And he says, I'm going to give you a sign to prove to you that I'm with you. I think this is the funniest passage in any story in the entire Bible. This is just me. God says, look, you can trust me, Moses. I'm going to give you a sign. After you've done everything I told you to, you're going to worship here. What kind of lousy sign is that? Okay, here's the proof that you can trust me and do everything I'm asking you to do. Once you do it, I'll give you a treat. <laughs> it's like, once you do it, you'll see the sign. It's like uh, there's, there's no way to win in that situation. You need the, don't you want the sign before you go? No, he gives them the sign after he comes back. They do come back. They do worship. But man, that doesn't feel very reassuring. 
But isn't that the way God works so much in our life? He's like, hey, you'll know it's me once you've done it. You'll know you can do this after you do it. You know it's going to turn out all right after it turns out all right. This is the proof God gives us over and over and over again. The proof is his word. It is a promise from his mouth. We don't, we don't always see the results. We just know that he said it. So God offers his presence. He offers his name. He offers his resources. And he offers his promises and his signs. That's what we get. You know, Mary's given a sign. She's like, hey, your, your relative Elizabeth, she's already pregnant. That'll prove that I know something you don't know. Maybe, I'm, maybe I know what I'm talking about here. But she doesn't know until she goes to find Elizabeth. And he gives her other signs. He gives her other promises to know that he's telling the truth. Um, he talks about what Jesus will be. Right? He'll be the consolation of Israel. He'll be you know, all these wonderful things. He'll, he'll be a savior. He'll be... Uh, the son, that he'll be called the son of the most high God. He'll ascend to his father David's throne. But none of these things are going to happen right away. So Mary just has to trust. Mary just has to walk by faith. Once again, the idea of being, um, being favored by God. We, we pray a lot for people to have God's favor, don't we? Oh, I'm praying that God's favor be on you as you go for your job interview. Oh, I'm praying for God's favor to be on you as you as you go to do your work. Or I pray for God's favor to be on you in your life, you know, just in your life, the blessing of the Lord. Mary heard that the favor of God was on her and she got scared, right? Sometimes we take some of these things a little too lightly. We don't understand the full implications Sometimes having the favor of the Lord on you makes your life less pleasant than it was before. But that's okay because it brings with it all sorts of wonderful and incredible uh, promises and gifts and blessings. So what is it that then God is inviting us to do today? So we, we read in our Advent reading about uh, not being afraid, having courage, especially in these times, right? And, and not just, not just uh, you know, I know that there's fear about our health, right? There's a lot of fear out there about, am I going to be safe? Am I going to be okay? Am I going to get coronavirus? Am I going to, you know, am I going to be sick? Am I going to be in the hospital? What about my relatives? You know, and I'm not saying that, that there's nothing to fear. I'm saying that in our fear, we can be courageous. Uh, then we also have, I know that some of us really were excited about the outcome of the election. Some of us hated the outcome of the election. And, we've, and there's fear about what's going to happen to our country. Well, okay, there's things to be afraid of for all sorts of reasons. But how do we have courage in it? And then there's that part of your own calling, that part of your own purpose in life that's specific to you. Maybe it's the one that you thought of when I asked you earlier. What's that thing you're afraid of? 
What's that burden God's put on your heart that you're afraid to step into? And again, it could be an example like the ones I gave, but maybe it's, maybe God's put in your heart to write something that you're afraid to write or to say something to somebody that you're afraid to say. Or maybe he's just calling you to grow up and you're afraid to do what it takes to grow up, to mature, to put your past behind you and step into a better future. Maybe you're afraid of financial realities. Maybe you're afraid of relational realities. Maybe God's inviting you to be bold in your marriage, but it's scary to be bold in your marriage because it hasn't gone well in the past. Any number of things. You know, I, I'm facing a situation, uh, it's kind of an ongoing thing, but in my family, and not just here in our immediate family, but in my, extent, my family that I grew up in. And there's some things that, are, that just are realities in the way that we uh, interact, in the way that we have grown up and live life together, uh, even though we're not all together right now, that have caused hurt. And they still have hurt. There's still hurt there. There's still pain in some of those relationships. And I really felt like God was calling me to step in in a particular way, not because I'm better than anyone else in my family or anything like that, but just he put a burden on my heart to start building um, uh, better he, you know, healing and better relationships there. But that was scary. You know, who am I to tell my parents or my older siblings or anyone else in my family hey, there's a better way. Who am I? And of course, you know, you guys, I mean, I, I'm not saying you guys esteem me so highly, but you guys know me as your pastor, right? I'm, known, I'm the little brother who was, a spo- you know, not spoiled, but I was like a, 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 a frustrating, annoying little brother who, who picked, you know, fights with everybody all the time. Like, that was what I did. That's how they know me. So that's just weird to kind of step into this different place. Just, you know, being honest. But God requires courage of us. He requires courage. And yours may be something totally different, but it's still going to require that. But what if you knew that God was sending you with resources, that he was sending you with help, that he was sending you with a promise, that he was sending you with his name and his presence, just like he did with Moses and ultimately just like he did with Mary. You know, when God promises Mary that she's going to have a son who will be called the Son of the Most High God, that he will be conceived by the Holy Spirit, that he will be the king in the line of David, and that he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will have no end, I don't know what all Mary understood. But what the angel was saying is, the God of the universe is going to be born through you. Talk about presence. Talk about a promise. And he gives a name, Jesus. She's going to have all the resources that she ever needs. And that one little boy named Jesus... You know, we see this play out, right? She's at a wedding in Cana, and they're out of wine. She's like, hey, just do whatever my son tells you to do, and we'll be fine. She knows that she's got all the resources in the universe at her disposal through her son. 
you know, and, and we don't know everything that she understood, but the promise was there. And here's the thing, you're not going to understand everything that God's promising you and offering you, but the promise is still there. And if Jesus being born in the flesh was the ultimate expression of God saying, I'll go with you, you know, his, one of Jesus' names is Emmanuel, God with us. If the ultimate promise of Jesus is that God is with you, and we know that through the Holy Spirit we have Jesus now, so it's not just that Jesus was born back then, you know, and I look at our manger scene, and there's, you know, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the donkeys, and, and Jesus is going to come into that place. But then Jesus is here now in us, that there's a place in us for him to live now, and that we know in some undetermined point in the future, Jesus will come again in the flesh. Jesus never leaves us, never forsakes us. He never abandons us. We have the name of God to call on. Right? We, have all, we have the resources of the, the God of the universe at our disposal through Jesus Christ. And we have all the promises of God being yes in Jesus Christ. Friends, you don't lack anything to do what God has called you to do. You don't lack anything. Remember, courage is the result of believing that God can be trusted no matter what. That's what courage is. That's the invitation today. Do not be afraid. Right? Whatever that calling God has placed in your life, whatever it is, understand that this reminder that we get in Advent is a reminder that God is with us. It's a reminder that when we're afraid, we can be brave because God has given us promises. It's the encouragement and the hopefully this um, almost like a, what's the word? When you, when you launch something, you're giving, you're giving that boost to something to get started and to launch and then ultimately to succeed, knowing that we have the resources we need to do it. What do you lack when you have Jesus? Nothing. And so my prayer for you and for myself, because we all have them, those things we're afraid to do that God's asked us to do, those, it could be, it could be a simple one-time action or it could be a whole life change. I don't know. But that in Christ, you could say, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. May it be unto me as you have said. Right? And you own it, and then you step out in it. Now, there's a whole sermon about what you do after you take your first step but I'll say this if you take your first step the rest will come the rest will come so often what God expects of us just like he did with Abraham Abraham says you know where am I going God when you ask me to leave my land and go to a new place and God says don't worry about that just take the first step I'll show you the way when the uh, the Hebrews left Egypt where are we going? Oh, just follow that cloud. Follow that pillar of fire. Right, it's going to be fine. Just go wherever I tell you to go. Just take that first step. And the thing is, until you take the first step, that cloud doesn't move. 
Once you step towards it, it moves forward a little more. And you walk towards it some more, and it moves forward a little more. It's always showing you the next step, but it never shows you the whole way. That's how God likes to work, because that's what requires faith. So friends, take courage. Take heart. Knowing that God has given you everything you need to accomplish what he's put before you. Let's pray. Lord, when I, or when we look inward at the source of our own fears and concerns and worries, particularly around things that we know that you've called us to do or called us to be or to become, God, I pray that this morning that you would help us to find that courage, to find that strength of heart, to say to you right now, May your word be, may your word to me be fulfilled. That we would right now be able to say, yes, Lord, I'll do what you ask of me. That we would in this moment be able to respond to you and say, God, I'm scared, but I trust you, so I'm going to take the first step. And then, Lord, help us then to take that first step. Whether it can be done today or tomorrow or next week or even over the next year that we would begin walking in the direction that you call us. And Lord, we trust that as we do that, that you'll give us everything we need. We trust that the promises of Advent are true, that God is truly with us in Jesus Christ, that he will be our guide, that he will be the one who, who lights our path, that he will be the one who gives us instructions and directions along the way. Lord, we know that we're frail and we are afraid often. We're afraid that if we change course, we'll lose face with somebody. Our pride gets in the way. We're afraid that if we step out, that we might fail. And we don't, we don't believe that you can carry us if we fail. Or we believe that what you're calling us to do is too hard. We don't trust that you'll empower us and give us the resources we need. So God, speak to our hearts through your Holy Spirit to deliver us from these lies and speak again to us the truth of your goodness and your greatness and your competence and your resources and your presence and your name. And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen.